Lord Jesus, out of nothing, you formed the world so that it was teeming with life, unable to be constrained, bursting forth in beauty and majesty and power and all things simply by speaking. You did this. And so, by your word today, come and speak. Speak to us that we, from the dark places of our heart, might find life breaking forth. Comfort us where we need to be comforted. Convict us where we need to be convicted. But in all things, bring forth the life of your spirit to us. We pray this in your name, our Savior. Amen. Well, if you're visiting with us, we've been working our way through a short mini-series that we've been calling The Mission of God. I've kind of extrapolated that out, say, let's, what's the mission of God's church? What's the mission of His people? Basically, how do we live in this life, living in this story that God is on a mission in the world to redeem all that has been broken by sin? That God is bringing new creation into a sin-cursed world through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we've looked at various ways that that mission affects our daily life. We've looked at the way it should affect how we care for the poor and vulnerable. We looked last week about how that mission affects our daily work lives. But one of the other important marks of God's mission is that he is putting our relationships back together. We have been created in the image of a God who lives in eternal community with himself. God did not create humanity because he was twiddling his thumbs and lonely. There was no need to be filled. He existed, Father, Son, and Spirit, in eternal bond of love. And out of that eternal bond of love, we were created as objects of the God who loves and lives in community to be members who love and live in community with each other. And yet we're facing in our world, in our country, an epidemic of loneliness. Last year, Cigna Healthcare did a study uh, that used the renowned and well-respected UCLA loneliness scale And they surveyed over 20,000 people, and this is what they found. 13% of Americans say that zero people know them well. 13. 13 out of every 100 people say, absolutely nobody knows me well. Only around half of Americans say they have meaningful daily face-to-face social interactions. Only half. Only half of us can say. We've had a meaningful day-to-day social interaction today. The problem's growing. They also found that with each successive generation, starting with baby boomers and moving down to Generation Z, loneliness was increasing. Now you may be wondering, why is Cigna, a health insurance company, concerned about this? Here's why. We are so deeply wired for relationships that the U.S. Surgeon General wrote this in the Harvard Business Review. 
Loneliness and weak social connections are associated with a reduction in lifespan similar to what has caused by smoking 15 cigarettes a day and an even greater impact than is associated with obesity. And this problem has infected humanity since sin entered the world and cursed it. From the very beginning, this was what God had said, the relationship between man and husband and wife is going to be affected. There's going to be turmoil in the relationship. From the very beginning, the first two siblings engaged in such a heated rivalry that one killed each other, the other. By the time you get to Genesis chapter 11, God frustrates the nations and gives them all different languages separating themselves from each other affecting relationships and we have perpetuated the problem in our own lives Jean Venier is a Christian who formed a community for people with special needs in France it's been going on for 30 years the large communities have become such an impact on people with special needs that they've spread across the world Veneer spent a lot of time thinking about community, loneliness, and how the gospel affects it. And this is his observation. One of the reasons he says that our lives of the Arsh communities work is because these are people with special needs. They know they need other people. And so they, they're able to develop a deep bond. As an observation, he says the destruction of intimate community has been at our own hands. Sort of can't blame so much that's going on out there. We've done this to ourselves, he's saying. As much as we yearn for community, we yearn even more for the social and economic prizes individual mobility can bring. There's this conflict. Stark individualism increases and terrible loneliness sets in which finds a certain relief in working harder for more money and more success and in more distractions, yet is still cut off from relationship. How do we fix our loneliness? Will we give ourselves to work, to buying, to sports, fill in the blank? And it just, he says, look, it just ultimately pushes people into deeper loneliness and they fall into a vicious circle alternating between inner pain and efforts to escape it. That resonates with me. I don't know if it does with you, but it just hits hard, deep into my heart. But the breakdown of relationships shouldn't surprise us because sin has broken us to the core and we are at the core made for community. And so what I want to suggest today is that essential to God forming us back into the kind of community life that breaks the cycle of loneliness for which we are created, the key is vulnerability. Vulnerability is the key to true community. We saw it in Deuteronomy chapter 15 that God has built into the life of his people, people who are in need. But what often feels like like weakness to us, our places of vulnerability, what often feels like like weakness is actually the attachment points 
for true community to take place. Those, those rough edges that we have in our lives and we are all needy. Those rough edges are like Legos. Those are the points that stick out and are uncovered in our lives. Things like health problems or marriage struggles or anxiety or depression or struggles at work or our own needs, maybe physically. These things that feel like vulnerabilities are really the nubs on Legos. They're the places where we are designed to attach to each other. And this is what is going on at the day of Pentecost here in Acts chapter 2. Some had needs, others had resources, and they began to stick together in the type of bonds that are formed that become inseparable. And so community really comes about when three things start to happen, when we embrace at least three vulnerabilities. Vulnerability one, we don't hide our flaws anymore. Vulnerability two, we share our needs with each other. And then vulnerability three, we die to ourselves for the sake of others. If we're going to experience this kind of God-formed new community where Jesus is present, knitting us back together, the first thing that we are going to need in order for that to happen is the power of God. And that means we need to be remade people. We need to keep the gospel at the center. This is where every community, by the way, fails. Every attempt for community, kind of this tight-nipped kind of life-on-life community, not talking about shaking hands or coffee fellowship, which is a really sweet time, but I'm talking about the kind of thing where lonely, deep levels of loneliness are met and alleviated. Every attempt to pursue that kind of community often fails, always fails, eventually, unless the gospel's at the center. One, one author puts it this way, if you love community, you destroy community. But he who loves the brothers builds community. Sort of the byproduct. Real intimacy with each other is the byproduct of love for one another. If you pursue community for the sake of community itself, if you pursue if you pursue it just to get rid of loneliness, you'll never find it. It can't be built by our ingenuity or our planning. Every attempt has failed. Every utopian community has ultimately failed. But if you pursue the gospel and out of its power, a deep love for other people, then community becomes the natural byproduct. This happens when God meets us at our vulnerabilities. You see, the gospel is not just information. We're not trying to download information into the hard drive of your brain. The gospel is news. The gospel is news that God has done something in this world the sin-cursed world for sin-cursed people. It's news that God has sent his son, that Jesus has defeated the enemies of sin, Satan, and death. And in his resurrection, in his victory, he now reigns and is creating new life in all of the broken areas of our world and our lives. And that's where Christianity is radically different. That's where the gospel is radically different. Every other Religion, every other philosophy of life basically says, look, here's the path that you need to follow. If you work hard enough, you can attain it. Jesus says, you're weak and you're vulnerable. Come to me for rest. 
you're lonely. You can't do anything about it. Come to me. It calls us to a person. The gospel calls us to a person and into a relationship with the person that then creates relationships with each other. The gospel is the power of God that transforms our relationship so that we can live the kind of lives he was intended for us to live from the beginning. And so this is what's happening. Peter preaches this sermon on Pentecost. He preaches the gospel. And the church goes, see how it's transformed. It's transformed from a bunch of disciples on the night of Jesus' crucifixion who are so concerned with their own hides that they run and hide and sort of joining into Jesus' mission. And after his resurrection, 120 are gathered into a small room because they are fearful. But on the day when the Spirit of God is poured out on the church through the preaching of the gospel, 3,000 people are added in one day. And within two days, the church goes to 5,000. The apostles don't have an exciting children's ministry or dynamic worship. They did have the truth of Jesus Christ and him crucified. And it is enough to not only save people, but to save them into a new community. In one day, they're not only brought to Jesus, but they begin to do life together in a radical kind of way. 3,000. You know how hard it is to knit 3,000 lives together? Verse 42. This is what it looks like. They devoted themselves to the apostle teaching and the fellowship. That's what the church was called. The fellowship. It's the Greek word koinonia. It's close mutual partnership. Sometimes it's used to describe what happens when we share something in common that creates such a deep bond, a relationship of oneness. The Apostle John uses this word to describe the relationship that a Christian has with God. That which we have seen and heard, this is 1 John 1, 3, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. That's what they have in mind for the church. Not a bunch of individuals coming to receive something, but their lives so closely knit together that the only point of reference is to say, you know what our relationship is like? Our relationship is like what we have with God. We're one with Jesus Christ. We share everything with him, and he shares everything with us. Verse 44 of Acts 2. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Verse 46, and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. This is what the gospel does. It, 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 it creates by its power, it creates new community so that we are one with each other, not just experientially one, not just like, theoretically one. And it does this by meeting our three areas of vulnerability. Vulnerability one, we don't have to hide our flaws anymore. Because the gospel changes our relationship with God. 
We come into a favored state with God. That's what the good news of the gospel is. You've gone from a state of wrath to a state of of favor. It's our, our, our assurance of pardon, peace with God. When the Bible uses the word peace, it doesn't just mean like a negotiated truce. It means a state of flourishing where everything is right. So vulnerability one, we don't have to hide our flaws from each other because we are hidden with, in Christ, with God. When we lived in Florida, we knew a family had 11 children. As you can imagine, with 11 children, their dishwasher ran all the time. They'd eat breakfast, fill the dishwasher, just so they would have dishes left then to do lunch, which then meant the dishes got dirty, and then they'd have to fill the dishwasher. I mean, it just kind of ran all the time. And as I listened to their day, I thought to myself, wouldn't it be fantastic if someone would create a dish that no matter what kind of dirt you put on it, they were no, just, it couldn't be soiled. No filth would stick to it anymore. And I thought, that's in Christ, that's who you are. Washed with the blood of Jesus. Washed white as snow. So that what the Father says about you if you are in Christ is this, holy, blameless, free from accusation. That is who you are in Christ. And if God takes us at our worst, covers us with the righteous robes of Jesus Christ, why do we need to hide from each other anymore? If we've explored our own lives, we know what the kind of dirt is in our lives, and we fall prey into thinking, I'm the only one. It's a lie. I'm just like you. Whatever you've seen in your heart, however it manifests, it might manifest different, but the roots are the same. And if that has been covered by the love of God, and I am in Christ, I don't need to hide that from God. I don't need to hide it from you. And that's the way the gospel just changes us at the core of our beings. If you skip over to chapter 4, verse 32. I just love this picture. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own but I had everything in common. By the way, this is not a plea or a roadmap for socialism. Socialism demands that goods be given away. The gospel frees us to give our goods away freely and with joy. But that leads us to vulnerability too. We have to learn to share our needs. And the assumption is, I'm going to share my needs with you because if I want God to provide, he's going to provide through his people. A Christian, by definition, is a needy person. There is nobody here who can say, I don't have needs. You can't be self-reliant and a Christian at the same time. The Christian life starts by saying, 
I can't do this on my own. I can't live my own life. I can't take care of myself. I can't satisfy your wrath. I can't build a righteousness for myself. I need you, Lord Jesus, to do this for me. You never move past a place of neediness in our lives. Again, these places, these nubs are where we connect to each other. And when we hide these vulnerabilities from each other and wonder why we're so lonely. Or why God has not met my needs. Because I've not made my needs known to the people through whom he intends to meet them. Again, Veneer just makes this observation about what it looks like to be a growing, maturing Christian. He says, the longer we journey on the road to inner healing and wholeness, the more Jesus starts putting us back together, the more the sense of belonging grows deeper. Like the maturing Christian realizes, I need you. I need you. I need to be in community. I need you to hold me up because sometimes I'm weak and I can't do it. I need you to believe the gospel for me because I can't do it. Sometimes I need you you to pay my bills because I can't pay them. We don't have to be ashamed of those things. God has built those things into our community life. They're the way that we're going to connect together, which leads us to the third vulnerability. And this is a little bit harder we're really going to experience we've got to this kind of community life right community the kind of life intimacy that we're made with we've got to learn to die to ourselves for the sake of others that includes making our needs known you've often heard me say there's two kinds of people in the church the kind that need to learn how to give and those who need to learn how to receive both are flip sides of the same coin of pride i'm i am the one who needs to learn how to give um, I have no problem receiving. If you want to give me stuff, feel free to. But if God is at work through the gospel, the, the result will be a new community that's created by and defined by a different kind of behavior and values. I don't hoard my stuff. That's not grace. Grace doesn't hoard. Grace gives. Consider, make this your mind that was also in Christ Jesus who did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped and held on to. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, even to death, even to death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, given a name above all names. When the people of God begin to die to themselves, The kind of community that's formed is remarkable. The Aswan High Dam was built on the Nile River in Egypt. It's huge. It's 375 feet high, almost 11,000 feet across. It was completed in 1971. Its turbines were turned on to generate enough power to light every light in the city of Egypt. Think about this. For over... Who knows how many millennium the Nile was a source of life. But it was only a source of life for people within a few miles of it. It watered the crops, 
They had to turn in their mill wheels so they could grind flour. You had to be right there next to the aisle. They sailed on it in moonlight and wrote songs about it. It was their life, but it was so localized. The moment that power was unleashed and the reservoir poured forth turbines, the life-giving power of the Nile was spread across the entirety of the country. And what was once localized now brought life everywhere. And this is what happened in Pentecost is the Spirit of God was poured out. The power of God was unleashed on a community so that we might be a blessing to ourselves and to each other. Do good to all, especially to the household of faith. Galatians 6.1. And this new community was regularly meeting in each other's house. That's why small groups, by the way, are an important, just in a really important part of our ministry. It's where we're learning to do this kind of community life. And these people were selling their stuff because someone else had need. You think about selling your iPhone because someone else has a need and going back to a flip phone. You selling your house because someone doesn't have room, can't buy their grocery. I mean, it's this radical kind of life that was generated by the gospel. And this is the kind of power that is available to us in Jesus Christ and by his spirit. This is community life. It's an outpost of reality in a world, as we're describing it, in a world that lives on virtual relationships of real relationships. A world that lives trying to cover up with a facade all of our brokenness, just laying our brokenness out for each other to see. Here's the last thing that I want to say. Because this is costly. I mean, it's not just costly in giving up our things and having to die to ourselves. It's costly in giving up some of the way we operate and the things we pursue. Because you can either have options or you can have depth. You cannot have both. You can either have real community that goes deep or you can have a lot of options. One author puts it this way. He says, The destruction of intimate community has been at our own hands. Is corresponded to our own hierarchy of values, which stand largely in tension with the values of total and intimate community. As we yearn for community, we yearn even more for the social and economic prizes that individual mobility can bring. So, I want to call us to this. Let's put down our reckless pursuit of the next best thing and perfect opportunities for our children and the ideal experience that is afraid to commit because something better might come along. By dying to ourselves and taking up our cross for the sake of others because whoever loses his life for Christ's sake will find that the life that is given to them is the opposite of lonely. They'll be filled with relationships that go deep where people know you 
and you know them. And then you begin to see their needs and how your resources can help. Studies have shown that, that relation, real deep relationships are built around time together. But real gospel community is built around time together we pour ourselves out because we've been poured into by God through Jesus Christ. 1 John 3, 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers and sisters in Christ. It's the mark of God's work in our lives because he's putting us back together. Let's pray.